Hello there, I'm Pastor John. Thank you for joining us today. There are a lot of ways to engage here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene, but we truly do thank you for listening here. If you haven't heard, we're also on Spotify now with the same great content. For more information about our church, you can check us out on the web at abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook. We're live each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. And you can find us on Instagram as well. Amen, amen. Well, hey, I'm Adrian, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at HFCN. And so if you are new or visiting, haven't gotten to meet you, we are so thrilled you showed up today. And um, just thankful uh, that you're here, and I pray that you already experience and feel the Lord's presence here among us. I I brought something with me. Uh, For some of you in the room, it'll be a little bit of like an artifact of sorts, perhaps, But believe it or not, there was a day in our history um, when we needed these things. It's called a compass. A compass. Some of you thought that was only an app on your iPhone. No, no, no. It's true. Uh, This was developed. That was a joke. It was a bad one. But um, it was developed a long time ago in, um, in this world of technology and GPS and where we're constantly plugged in. Uh, We may not realize that these kind of things existed once upon a time. The truth about me, I am terrible with directions. Terrible. Like, like my wife, Lauren is like riding with me in the car as I'm turning. She's like, you sure sure you're going this way? You sure you're right? And it's like, well, it's it's well intended because I am terrible. So without modern technology, I would need something like this all the time. But for those of you that don't know, kind of what this does is some even today, like, out in the woods or wherever you are, hunting, doing your thing. You actually use this to kind of navigate around and and a little magnifying glass here to find your direction that you need to go and point that way. And in fact, one of the things that a compass helps us do is it helps us find what's called true north. True north. It's really important in a lot of different terms. But so, so what you would actually do, and it's somewhere over here, so I won't turn my back to you, but you kind of find it and Actually, really interesting, as I was studying this week, a compass actually helps you find magnetic north, which is like based on our poles, and those change depending on where you are, and so it's like mind-blowing, but you use that a few degrees over, and you can find true north to set your course in the direction it needs to go. I was reading this week of a really interesting study. Uh, it was performed, it, it was done in Germany, uh, and it was a group of German uh, scientists. They were actually biological cybernetic scientists. I don't even know what that means, right? But they were doing this study. It's really interesting. They got two groups of people, and they find two different terrains. So one group of people, they brought him to a, a pretty flat forest in Germany. The other group, they take them to uh, the Sahara Desert in Tunisia. And both groups were given the same instructions. We want you to walk straight for a couple hours. That's all we want you to do. Just go straight. And they did it on a cloudy day, and uh, no other instructions than that. Obviously, they had no cell phones with them. They certainly didn't have a compass. They were just told, walk straight. And they mapped them. They, they had a GPS tracker, and they actually tracked them on a map to see their directions. And what was really interesting, both groups of people in completely different terrain had the same exact results. Every 10 minutes or so, as they were walking in the same direction, they would actually walk in circles. 
They were, without realizing it, they thought they were going straight in the same, but without realizing it, they were actually about every 10 minutes or so walking in circles. What's really fascinating is they did the study again, and they had them start at, like at night with the moon out, but then they knew cloud cover was coming, and sure enough, for like an hour or so with the moon out, where they could kind of have their bearings, they would walk straight. As soon as the cloud cover came and the moon was hidden, they began walking in circles. Fascinating fascinating. The headline at the end of the article that really stood out to me was this. It says, perhaps it is human nature to go in circles when you're lost. Well, man, I don't know about you, but we live in a world today where a lot of us are walking in circles. A life full of dead ends. A life full of, if it's up to me, if I don't have a guide, if I don't have a focus, if I don't know where true north is, I feel like I'm going places, but I'm really just walking in circles. And it's a life full of frustration. And it's a life full of empty pursuits. For some, that circle is like a life of revenge where you're out to justify what has happened to you. For some, that's a life of trying to be good enough. And you work so hard, and, you, and really, if you were to just kind of step out and look at a bird's eye view, you're just doing life in circles. You're not going anywhere. For others, you are desperately seeking approval and respect and love any way you can. And you may feel like, I'm good, I'm going, but really your life is just going in circles. The reality for you and for me is we need a true north. We need something in our life to give us direction, something to keep us on the path set before us. And that's why we began this three-part series called The Pure Gospel the pure gospel. Maybe you've never been here before, and if not, we're so glad you showed up, but many times here on a Sunday morning as I'm preaching, you will hear me reference the gospel. You'll hear me talk about the gospel that we build our lives upon, and some of you in the room may be saying, what in the world do we mean when we say the gospel? And that's why for this next three-week series, we're going to spend some time specifically addressing what this gospel is all about and how the gospel is meant to provide us with our true north, our direction, our guide for our lives. If you were to look at that word specifically, I'm going to put it on the screen here. Um, this is the word in Greek. Now, the Bible was not written in English. In fact, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so in order to understand it in English, we had to translate it. And sometimes there's words that just don't translate that well. And so the word gospel is one of those. Really interesting. Uh, the word there on the screen uh, written in Greek is pronounced euangelin. Uh, I'm going to say it wrong. Euangelin. And really the root of that word is where we get the word angel from. Angel is, of course, a messenger uh, of good news. And, and that word, that word in the Greek literally means good news, a good message. Uh, and any time it's used, specifically in the New Testament, it refers to the kingdom of God, specifically Jesus as the Messiah, as the founder of this kingdom, or it refers to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Look, just in the Gospel of Matthew with me, I have it here on the screen. You'll see in parentheses this word is used throughout Scripture. In Matthew 4, it says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among them. Look again, a couple chapters later in Matthew 9, very similar verse. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Again, turn the chapter again in chapter 24. 
It says this, and this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Then look at Matthew 26, verse 13. Jesus is, is speaking about a woman who has anointed him with perfume, a, a lavish sign of worship. And then he says, truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel, there's that word again, is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Specifically, here at HFCN, we want to provide you with a definition of what the gospel is, what we're talking about. It's written in your Version Bible app, if you have that, and we have some notes set up there that you're welcome to look up. It's written there. But on the screen, we have it here. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about the gospel. Specifically, the gospel is the good news message that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, that he was raised to life, victorious over the power of death. And in choosing to live for him, we can be free from the power of sin and experience abundant life today and eternal life in heaven. This is the gospel. This is our true north that we base our life on. So specifically, uh, we're going to break this series down in three parts. And today we're going to begin by looking at the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to turn to John chapter 5 in your copy of Scripture, if you have it with you. It'll be on the screen behind me. But I, I think it's valid. It's good for us to open up the Word of God together. And we're going to look at just two verses today from John, uh, the Gospel of John, as it's often called. And in doing so... Uh, some of the things that are happening here, we're just five chapters in to John's gospel, and already the ministry of Jesus is well underway. He's performed a miracle. He's healed sick uh, people. He's uh, been doing incredible things. He brought life to the Samaritan woman, and then her whole community has changed because of it. But already these things are happening in John chapter 5, and the Jewish leaders are ready to kill Jesus. They've seen enough. They've had enough. So just five chapters in, and they're already ready to kill him. And in fact, there are two specific reasons for that. One is, Jesus continues to heal people on the Sabbath. And they believe that the Sabbath was for rest, and because of that, that Jesus, you can heal any other day, but not on the Sabbath. So they had a big issue with that. The other is that Jesus kept referring to himself as the Son of God. And they felt that was blasphemy to even put yourself in any kind of equality with God. And so because of that, they bring these charges against him. And in, in Matthew 5, verses 19 and 20, we're going to read Jesus' response. And this is a long discourse. We're, not going to, we're just going to look at the first two verses of it. But we're going to uh, listen to Jesus' response and how it for us lays the foundation of the gospel. So follow along with me, Matthew 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Jesus was being accused of making himself equal with God and immediately Jesus says, in essence, it's not about me. It's all about the Father. It's all about Him. And in doing so, there's really two pretty powerful implications for us as we begin this series this morning focusing on the life of Jesus. First, I want us to understand that Jesus represented for us the plan of God. 
the plan of God. We make this mistake sometimes in referring to the gospel. And what we do in our Bible, if it's like yours, I actually have red letters. I know we sang that song, I have red letters where Jesus... What we'll do when we talk about the gospel is we kind of fast forward to the New Testament where Jesus shows up and we say, well, that's the gospel. And I, I understand practically what we're saying there, but the reality is the gospel began way, way before that in Scripture. If you look back to the very beginning of the Old Testament and God had created and everything he created was good and it was perfect and as it was meant to be. And there in the garden, there was the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, and they were given specific instructions and they made a choice. They made a decision. They were given the freedom. Go anywhere you want to go, do everything you want to do except this one thing and they chose in their selfishness to do that one thing. And in that moment... In the book of Genesis, sin enters the world. In the moment sin enters the world, you and I, we have a problem. We have a problem that we can't solve on our own. It's sin. It's brokenness. It's a sin nature. That from that point forward, sin becomes our reality. And so from that moment, literally, as soon as Genesis chapter 3, the plan of God for your redemption and for my redemption began. Literally, in Genesis 3.15, we won't read it today, but that's the earliest account that scholars give of a prophecy, of a prediction, of a foretelling of a Messiah, of a Savior that is needed for us. And then if you keep reading throughout the Scripture, hundreds of times, hundreds of times, prophecy is given, promises are given of a Savior, of a Messiah. Why? Because we have a sin problem and God had a plan. God had a plan for our redemption. And throughout this beautiful redemption story that we read throughout the Old Testament and into the New, we see the plan of God throughout history. And it becomes the person of Jesus. And Jesus quickly says, it's not about me, it's about him. But there's a couple specific things that Jesus says and that he does that I want to point out here. First, that Jesus, in the midst of this plan that God has, he has complete confidence. He has complete confidence. He knew that death was near. He knew the religious authorities were gathering around, licking their chops, ready to see him sentenced to death. But he remained confident. Why? Why was he confident? Because his future was in God's hands, not his own. He he was confident because he, he knew what true north was in his life. It wasn't his plan. It wasn't his ideas. It was, it was submitting to God's will and God's plan for his life. And so his confidence was based on God's faithfulness, that God was faithful. And so that even in the midst of this, Jesus speaks with confidence. But not just that, Jesus speaks and he has complete fearlessness. Fearlessness. We believe that Jesus was fully God, but fully man. So because of that, we believe that Jesus felt everything that you and I feel. Uh, Worry, anxiety, fear. And so I believe that Jesus felt real fear. You actually see that on his journey to the cross. He says, Father, if there's any other way. I I think in that we see some, the humanness of Jesus revealed that uh, I'm afraid. Lord, help me. But in the midst of this, in the midst of this encounter with the religious authorities, Jesus is not afraid. Why? Why is he not afraid? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, he's not afraid because it's more important to him to be true to God, to please God, than to please man. And so his fearlessness was rooted 
in God's mission, in God's purpose, in his direction for his life. The temptation would be, say the right things. Say what everyone else wants me to say to kill the conflict, to reduce the conflict, to make things easier. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't have fear because he was following the direction that God had for his life. Jesus was the plan. Why? Because I was a mess, man. I was hopeless. I was walking in circles. And I had no hope for my life. I had no future. I had nothing. On my own, man, I saw the fruit of that kind of life, and I needed a Savior, and Jesus was the plan, the plan of God to give me a direction in a future and a true north in my life. I don't know about you, man, but I needed a true north. There's some fathers in the room today, man. You needed a true north. You needed a direction. You needed a way. There's parents in the room. There's husbands. There's wives. There's grandparents. There's students where you needed a direction and a plan, and Jesus was the plan of God because of sin and brokenness that you could not do it on your own, and Jesus became the plan of God. But ultimately, more than that, Jesus was not just the plan. He was the example He was the example. This is why simply and profoundly we don't begin the gospel at the cross. The cross is so important. We're not minimizing that, but simply and profoundly we begin with the foundation of the life of Jesus because he was the plan from the beginning, the promised Messiah. The John's gospel begins by saying simply and profoundly that the word became flesh. The word became flesh. And and that was the plan of God. But now we see not just that he was the plan, but he was the example. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 5. He says these words, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what the father does. Simply and profoundly, Jesus was the example. First, he was the example of who the father is. Who the father is. He, He lays down his identity with God. And in doing so, we understand that to see Jesus in action is to see God in action. To to see the things that God does are to see the things that Jesus is doing. If we want to see how God loves, look at Jesus. If we want to see how God forgives, look at Jesus. If we want to see how God has a heart for broken and hurting people, look at Jesus because he is the example The mind of Jesus is the mind of God. The words of Jesus, the words of God, the actions of Jesus, the actions of God. Paul in Colossians chapter 1 says it this way, he is the image of the invisible God. And that is beautiful. The God who was invisible, the God that we could not see in Jesus, he becomes the image of the invisible God. We see God. How do we do that? It's through Jesus. That's how we see. That's how we understand. My youth pastor growing up used to, it's this analogy, it made me kind of creepy, you know, but he's like, called Jesus was God with skin on. (laughs) That's who Jesus became. He was the example. That's why his life matters, but more specifically, he's not just the example of who the Father is, Jesus is the example of who we are to be. That's why his life is the foundation. This is powerful because for us, This relates to now, not one day, not the future. This is why the gospel matters for you now, because our life, our life throughout history had gotten so off course that the Father needed to remind us of how to live, and for that, Jesus came. 
the identity of Jesus. I wrote this down. The identity of Jesus in John chapter 5 is found in two things. The first is not power, but submission. The second is not in position, but in obedience. Jesus wasn't concerned about his power. He wasn't concerned about his position. What he was concerned about is submitting to the Father in obeying him. When we look at Jesus, the reason we see God is because Jesus submitted to the will of God. Jesus' identity was not based on equality, but on obedience. These are the things that defined who Jesus was, and they are the things that should define who we are. Submitting to the will of God. Obeying him. <laughs> Why? Because he's the example. He is how we know what true north is. It's Jesus. It's not just like, well, what do you think? And what do you know? And what, what, no, no, it's, it's Jesus. It's not just, well, I feel like this about this, and I feel like that. No, no, he is the example. He is our true north. This is what is so powerful about the idea of baptism tonight. It will be one of the most incredible evenings in our church all year because we pick one night where we kind of just, after Easter, and we kind of just really pray and seek God and invite people, hey, have you been baptized? And tonight we're going to do that here at the church. It's going to be an incredible evening. But do you know what's powerful about baptism? Do you know why we do it? We believe that salvation is through faith alone. We don't need to be baptized to be saved. That's what we believe. We believe that's biblical. But do you know the reason that we, we were, I was talking last night to our eight-year-old son about this, and we were talking, and I say, buddy, why is it? Why is it that I can't just take you in the bathtub now and we baptize? I mean, we could do that, but, but why do we want to do it and gather people around? And why is that important? And the reason is when we are baptized, what we are saying is, I identify with Jesus. His way is my way. His life is my life. And we identify with the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That is beautiful, but profound, simply, what we begin with is saying that I identify with the life of Jesus. He is my true north. And we're baptized and saying, that's why I, I want everybody to know. I want everybody to know I choose Jesus. He is my foundation. He is my true north. That's why it's so beautiful. That's why every time, every time I see people baptized, I'm wiping away the tears, you know? It's because, it's because what, what are they saying? They were saying, I was living my life for me, and I was walking in circles. I had no direction. I had no future. I had no promise, but I have decided that I want to be identified with the life of Jesus. He is my true north. It moves me every time. That's what's so powerful about it. This morning, I, I want to close with a question. I think it's a powerful and profound question that the gospel asks of us, the life of Jesus asks of us. And we can choose how we respond to this question, but I think all generations in the room, no matter how long you, you've been a Christian, no matter if church is your thing or if it's not, I think this is a question that we all need to answer today. The question is this, what is the greatest difference between the way Jesus lived and the way that you live? If his life if this is the gospel that we claim to believe in, his life is our plan, but it's also our example, then what is the difference today between the way Jesus lived and the way that you live? This is powerful because for many of us, whether we would admit it or not, what we say is, I'm going to take the parts of the gospel that make me feel good. 
I'm going to take the parts of the gospel that I agree with. I'm going to take the parts of the gospel that I can stomach well, but the other parts of the gospel, not so much. I love that Jesus showed grace and forgiveness. And so, man, I, I, I like that part. But the truth that he spoke, the hard words he spoke, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. So whether we realize it or not, what we've said is, Jesus, I'll let you be the example in these areas of my life, but not in these areas. And when you do that, you have no direction. You have no, you're living your life based on what feels right, on what truth seems right to you. And we're living in a world today where truth is so relative. You have your truth and I have my truth. And that's a dangerous way to live because one day you're going to realize you're just walking in circles. And so today I just ask you, what's the greatest difference? I can't answer that for you. Only you can. But if Jesus came to show us who God is and who we are to live, then, then our lives in submission, in obedience, say, I want you to be the guide. I want you to be the example of how I will live. I'm going to ask Pastor Joe to come this morning and help us as we prepare to close the service. When we allow Jesus to be our example, things change in our lives. Decisions change. Priorities change. Our mindset changes. The struggle is that we have churches today filled with people who claim to believe in this gospel, but they're not willing to completely obey, to completely submit to the life of Jesus. So church, today the challenge is simple, but it, it's, it's challenging. What's the difference between the way you live and the way Jesus lived? This morning I'm going to invite you to just stand to your feet and I'm going to pray today. I want to pray that the life of Jesus becomes your foundation. I want to pray that the life of Jesus becomes your direction. That this week, I pray as you encounter hard, I'm not praying you encounter hard things, but when you do this week, I pray that instead of saying, well, what do you think we should do? How do I? Whoa, 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 whoa. I want to be a person of the gospel. I want to be a person that takes my life in my cue from God's plan. I, I want the way I love others, the way I forgive others, the way I show kindness. I, I want it to be reflective of the life of Jesus. So this morning, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. And I want to pray today for obedience. I want to pray today for uh, confidence in the plan of God. Uh, we don't have to be afraid. Jesus wasn't, even in the midst of the plan. He knew it's all about the Father, that he could be trusted. And so today, can you trust God with your life? Can you trust him with the direction of your life? Can you trust him with the unknown, the future? Father, today I, I pray for your church, your people. Church is not a building. It's not a location. It's it's your people. And so we've gathered together today. We are your church. And we claim to be people of the gospel. And so because of that, Jesus is our example. We cannot pick and choose today. We can't submit to the things that we want to submit to and not others. We can't obey the things that we want to and not. Lord, it's, it's all or nothing today. 
we want you to be our true north. We, if ever before, Lord, if we ever lived in a time where we needed you to be our guide, it is today. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I was walking in circles. I, I was hopeless, Lord. I was trying so hard to earn the approval of other people. But then I realized, Lord, that I want you to be my example. I want to trust in you fully. And because of that, Lord, you've become my true north. And sometimes, Lord, if I'm not careful, I can get a couple degrees off. I can start heading the wrong direction. And Lord, you, you lovingly have to correct me and bring me back into alignment with your direction and your future for me. So Lord, I pray for others today. Maybe we're just a couple degrees off. I pray today the life of Jesus would be our foundation. It would be our focus. It would be our true north. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, it's all about Jesus. That's what we've been singing about all morning. That's the focus. That's the foundation of this gospel that we claim to live. It is all about Jesus. So now as we close, I think it's okay that we sing these simple, beautiful words about our Jesus. Would you join us as we sing? Thanks again for listening here today. If you enjoyed it and want to engage more, you can subscribe to this podcast through our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. Or if you're a Spotify user like me, you can search for us there and subscribe directly there as well. If you happen to be anywhere in the Shenandoah Valley here in Virginia, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road, Rockingham, Virginia. We meet each Sunday morning at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and then again at 11.45 a.m. in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night at 6 p.m. Thanks again, and we look forward to meeting you soon.